This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Friday the 13th in the Wild Wild West. It's episode 490 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I just said that out loud, and I didn't realize it. It's like 10 away from 500. Now, I always said I wanted to get to 500 episodes of this show, and, and let me get nostalgic here for a second, and, and it just, it's been so many great years doing this, and I can't believe I'm almost at 500 episodes, and that's because of you guys. If you guys weren't listening... This wouldn't be possible. So I just wanted to say a quick thank you for that. I, I probably, I, I know I've said it many times before, but you know, it definitely should be repeated more often because you guys are amazing. And the reason that I'm able to still do this, and I really do appreciate that. So let's get to the show, shall we? This week, going to be talking to Donald DeLine, one of the executive producers of Billy the Kid. Season two is going to be coming out this coming Sunday, actually, on the 15th of October to MGM Plus, and also. Writer, creator, everything, Billy the Kid, Michael Hurst, writer strikes over, so he gets talked to writers again, which I love, and Michael Hurst just has such a passion for Billy the Kid and, and his life, and I know that I talked to him in season one, so I can't wait to dive into season two with him, going to be talking about the Lincoln County War and everything coming up in season two of Billy the Kid, plus I get to talk about the Frasier reboot and I've been I feel like I've been waiting to talk about this ever since I heard that it was actually going to happen because I don't think I ever really believed that it was going to happen and now that it is I'm going to get to talk about it I probably won't do any spoilers though I know it dropped earlier this week but if you've been on the fence you've been thinking about watching it I don't want to spoil anything for you so we'll do spoiler free on that and yeah there's a bunch more nerd news this week than there was last week there's some AI stuff I'll give you an update on the actor strike now is that is there any end in sight there and some other interesting little news and notes as well but up next going to talk to donald line and michael hirsch about billy the kid season two it's happening next on the down and nerdy podcast my name is bo smith i'm the creator of wine owner earth and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast the lincoln county war is on season two of billy the kid going to be premiering on mgm plus on October the 15th, that's this coming Sunday, and I got a chance to sit down with the executive producer, Donald DeLine, and creator and writer Michael Hirsch to talk about the show. So excited about this second season, so let's dive in. All right, Donald, Michael, really excited for season two of Billy the Kid. It's finally here. We've been waiting so, so long, and okay, I want to start out big. 
Lincoln County War. That's what we're going into in this season. I was so excited to get to this. There's been some other movies and shows and stuff done about Lincoln County War. So for you guys, what did you want to do or focus on differently with this season? Well, I think we've been, as it were, preparing uh, ourselves and Billy for the Lincoln County Wars. Uh, you know, what? but what I wanted a context for them. I wanted people to begin with to know who Billy was, where he came from, what he's really like, that he's not a pathological killer, but he's still only 19, I think, when he gets to Lincoln. Obviously, there are a lot of violent people in Lincoln, this sort of nowhere town in, in New Mexico that suddenly becomes the center of this huge fight that starts out as a commercial quarrel, becomes a shootout. And so the show, you know, it steps up a few gears because there's a lot of action. Billy is propelled, despite his youth, into a leadership role. He's got to make big decisions, and those decisions affect the lives of friends of his and people close to him. He goes through several lives himself during these few years that he's involved in the Lincoln County Wars. So I just recommend people to hang on to the edge of their seats and get ready to enjoy a really great ride. I mean, it is brutal and it's violent, but it's real. And at the same time, it's beautiful. No doubt about that. Now, Donald, for you, you've got a lot of historical figures bouncing around here in this season, especially maybe more so the last season. You've got we've got more Murphy. We've got more Tunstall. We've got other names being added. How do you kind of balance all of these things and try and keep things as I mean, as historically accurate as you can in a situation like this? Yeah, well, Michael is um, really, really adept at that fine balancing act that one has to um, to always do when telling a story that's historical, yet also full of drama and personal uh, human interaction, which is, it's never perfect. Um, the way that I, I always say it is don't let the facts stand in the way of the truth. There's an emotional <laughs> truth to what happened. And Michael always goes for character and and what that truth is first and foremost. And that, you know, the specifics of events are really somehow less important. Obviously, the big piece is, you know, we adhere pretty closely to. But, you know, you have to take certain dramatic license, wouldn't you say, Michael? Oh, yeah. It, you know, it's not a documentary. And, and you know, you have to make choices. You have mm -hmm. to make a, 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 a lot of choices. But at the center of it is honoring the truth or being close to the truth or being able to defend yourself against accusations that you're not telling the truth. So obviously it's based on a lot of research. But, you know, when you when when the characters are walking around in front of you, they, they, they have a certain amount of freedom. You know, they are themselves. They they they've create I've helped to create them. But now they're beginning to walk around on screen. I'm kind of watching them and kind of what are you going to do? You know what? What, what happens <laughs> next? And uh, and of course, I people only watch because they engage with the characters, mm -hmm. you know, and the characters don't always have to be good or anything, but they 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 have to be sort of compulsively uh, fascinating. Uh, and, and Billy, despite his youth, is always interesting, I think, and has lots of moral dilemmas, lots of choices to make. And so I'm kind of in, I'm with him and I'm out, outside him. I am him in a way, but I'm also looking at him. I'm outside him. I'm wondering what he's going to do, you know, what, 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 and, 
And, and believe it or not, sometimes he can kind of surprise me. You know, it might be something I've thought of in the night or something that's just occurred to me. It's like, oh, why did he do that? Or why didn't he do to, to, to that? So it's an organic thing. It's a process. And we were so lucky. We have the, the brilliant um, actor Linus Roach playing Tunstall. And, you know, Michael has worked with him before. Uh, he was in Vikings, correct, Michael? Yes, he was in Vikings. Big, big role in Vikings, yeah. Among, among many other great things. And he... Yeah. Um, he brings so much to it. And Brendan Walsh, our guy who, our brilliant actor who plays Murphy. So we had just these oh, yeah. players uh, come into our world this season. You really it's do. And I love cast, the dynamic yeah. between the two of them, between Billy and Tunstall. I think that that's one of my favorite things of season two from what I've seen so far. But I want to ask yeah. you guys too, because it seems like we're getting more politics in this season than we did in last season. So how does somebody like Billy, who's still learning how to you know, be, become a man, become his own man, how does a guy like that deal with the politics of the situation? And is this kind of a theme of it's the politics, not the outlaws that are starting the wars here? Well, that's what Billy, that's what Billy gets to understand. Yeah. You know, and, and he was led into it. If you remember in the first season by the journalist he met, Ash Upson, who told him about the rings and told him how corrupt they were and that they ran everything. And it's, there's, there's one thing about, about being told something. There's another thing about seeing it. It's about seeing the power that the rings have. I mean, you know, Catron is the, the most powerful man in, in, in New Mexico, you know, and he's helping Murphy to run the house. And, and what Billy discovered, because he sides always with the underdog, so he sides, he's siding with the Mexicans, with the Mexican farmers. And what the rings are doing are driving Mexican farmers off their own land, you know, by one way and another, often brutally. Uh, and, and Billy, uh, just as he did when, he, when his best friend was shot, when he was younger, by a guy in the rings who didn't ever think he'd get prosecuted for it. So Billy's seen firsthand what the rings can do. And it does make him quite political in inverted commas. You know, I mean, he's fighting for something in Lincoln. He's fighting for something that he, he actually, that he believes in, that it's not, they are not the problem. The outlaws, the people, you know, they are not the problem. It's the people who are apparently respectable you know, who have lots of money, who live in big houses and, and are judges and, you know, farmers and everything. They're the ones who are criminal, actually. And, and Billy understands that and, and is prepared to die fighting for that. Go ahead, Donald. I want to I want you jumping on this as well. Yeah, no, I just was thinking as Michael was talking, it's like, you know, he's experiencing the, the, the terrible corruption of the system. And the system is yeah. held up to be law and order and what stands for right, you know, and he yeah. realized it's so much more complicated than that, you know, and we experience this over and over again in history, you know, and as regimes or governments come and go and uh, Billy's discovering this for himself. And you have to remember, you know, Billy, he died at the age of 21 he had such an impact on on history and culture, but he died at the age of 21. So I think of this, you know, he's 19 approximately right now in season two. Mm -hmm. But I also think of that as he he's in this kind of, you know, his most mature stage of his life, because I, I, I know what's coming, you know, and he he rose to the occasion. It was almost like he knew he had to make a stand for what he believed in. 
Absolutely. And before I let you guys go, I've I've definitely got to get your take on this because we've got a couple of very important relationships for Billy. You've got the relationship with Jesse. You've got the relationship with with Dulcinea. So which relationship in the season do you think kind of drives him or affects him more this season? I think both of them, actually. In in fact, uh, uh, Dulcinea comes into it more, uh, becomes a more prominent player, sort of slightly unexpectedly, but that's what, 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 what happens right through this season. Jesse, uh, that's the joy to write the, that, that relationship between Billy and Jesse. And it goes on being a, a wonderfully complex, rich, interesting relationship. You know, they love and hate each other. And, you know, they find it kind of difficult to kill each other. And, and they, they've been through lots together. And, you know, it's just, it, it really is from a, it's from a writer's point of view, it's, it's gold dust, you know. And uh, Jesse, of course, I mean, uh, he's just a great, another of our great actors. I mean, his performance is just mesmerizing, you know. And certainly, I think at the beginning of the season, everything, He's just so dangerous. You know, he doesn't have to do very much to let you know that you don't mess with him. You know, he's fantastic. What do you say, Donald? Uh, I think Michael said it all and said it perfectly. I couldn't say it better. It's a real uh, balancing act between the two. They're both key, fascinating relationships that are full of contradictions and these people are drawn to each other like magnets and yet they they really shouldn't be together. So it's always, always interesting when they're together on screen. And I can't wait for you guys to see what I've already seen. I've been a little lucky to see it early, but I can't wait for you guys to see it on October the 15th on MGM Plus season two of Billy the Kid. Yeah, this is the one you've been waiting for, for sure. And these guys are a part of that. Donald DeLine, Michael Hurst, thank you both so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. Jeff. Appreciate it. And I really do like that this is such a different view of Billy the Kid and the life of William Bonney and the guy who he may have really been. Again, it's hard to really know for sure, right? But I love Michael Hirsch's take on a more optimistic Billy, the Billy that's out there to do good. And the contrast between he and Jesse is just so, so there. And this battle between Tunstall and Murphy, it's very compelling as well. And this the way, the way that they're telling the Lincoln County War in this particular instance I think it's really interesting and, is, and and it really feels like a fresh perspective on the whole thing. And maybe you don't think it's historically accurate. Maybe it is. But, you know, like Michael Hirsch said, it's not a documentary. And there's going to be some creative license here as well. But you know what this season is? It's a fun ride. It really is. I got a chance to see some of it early. And I can't wait for the rest of it. To, and you, you kind of know how it's going to play out, right? But how does it play out sort of thing is one of the things that has me really interested or maybe we don't know how it's going to play out because it created a license so we'll have to wait and see but billy the kid season two on mgm plus on october the 15th you're not going to be sorry that you watch this one i can tell you that right now again thanks to michael hirsch and donald DeLion for joining me to talk about some billy the kid season two up next let's get into the fraser reboot from paramount plus i can't wait to talk about this one next on the down and nerdy podcast Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is writer Peter Milligan. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Back in Boston for some tossed salads and scrambled eggs. The Frasier reboot is finally on Paramount+. Plus. It actually dropped on Thursday. New episodes will drop every Thursday, by the way. So the first two episodes are out. Let's give, I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of this. And first of all, I want to start off by saying Frasier is one of my top shows of all time, whether it be sitcom, comedy, drama, you name it. Frasier is one of the top two of my favorite shows of all time. And anytime you have a show that you love that much and they try to reboot it, it's almost impossible, I think, to to satisfy fans. And I can only speak for myself, okay? I re- I, I'm just, I cannot stress this enough. But I can't, and I've seen, you know, some people go one way and some people go another way when talking about this show. But I will tell you right now is that this is about as close to everything I could have hoped for that they could have had in this show. And I, I, I reminded myself before I watched it, okay? And maybe, and this was me going in as objective as I possibly could for a show that I love this much. I reminded myself before I watched this show that times are different and sitcoms are different. And by that, I mean they don't make sitcoms the same way that they used to back when Frasier was new and Friends was new and Seinfeld and all of these. There's been very few to me, successful sitcoms since those shows went off the air. Like, there's a handful that I thought were any good at all. So, this one definitely takes what the what is the a modern way to do a sitcom and makes it work and takes the story forward. That's one thing I really love. And, of course, Kelsey Grammer is Fraser Crane. No one will ever play that character again, nor should they. So if and if and when this reboot ends at some point, I never want to see anybody else play this character again, ever, because Kelsey Grammer is Fraser Crane, period, end of story, and no one will ever do it better. But I like how they took Fraser Crane's life and entered it into another phase, because we saw that, that's how we went from Cheers to Fraser, and then we saw at the end of Fraser, which they do address his time at the end in going to Chicago, at the end of the final episode of Frasier. You know, does he go to Chicago? What happens there? We get a little a little bit of information on that. There's at least a part, of, and it's very quick. So if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. It's very quick what he was doing in Chicago, how long he was there. Uh, it doesn't necessarily say why he left, but there is closure on at least one of the characters from the original series of Frasier as well. And it was tough. I'm not going to lie. It is tough. And yes, there are references to certain characters. There is one character that I actually had forgotten was going to be in the show at all. That's going to be a, a bit more of a major part 
of the show, and it's an, another member of the Crane family. That's one thing that I will tell you right now is that there there is another member of the Crane family that's going to feature, I don't know if prominently is the right word in this, but certainly recurring, if nothing else. So, And yes, Frazier is back in Boston. That much you know, he's trying to reconnect with Freddie. And that relationship and dynamic will feel very familiar. I think if you're a diehard Frazier fan, it'll feel very familiar to you. But at the same time, there's winks and nods and differences to how it's presented. And you sort you and you get to see, okay, like, well, this is Frazier, but is Frazier still gonna be Frazier? Because in the trailer, you kind of get the sense, well, yeah, it's kind of Frazier, but he seems a little different. And he is a little different, but the Frazierisms are there. At, at the heart of this show, Frazier Crane is still Frazier Crane. And that's the thing that I kind of worried about a little bit was that are they going to try and change this character too much? And you have to change him a little because it's been so many years, right? So you can't not change the character at all. And they do change the character enough and move him forward. But at the same time, Frazier's still Frazier. Like anybody can change, but there's still going to be bits and pieces of you that will always be you. And, you know, and for better or for worse, right? But that is exactly what they did with this Frasier character and they gave little and, and they gave Freddy's character some little nuances as well that I really thought were interesting and, and they talk about how his life's changed and that's a big part of these first couple of episodes as well. And who is this woman that he that he is with? And there's a very interesting twist to that that they did not reveal on the trailer, which I thought was very cool and very interesting. But the the reasoning behind it was very they give it a much deeper story than I expected. And I will tell you right now, with no shame, that I cried in the first episode. I was weeping like a baby. And there's a certain part in this episode, and there's a reason for that. Trust me, if you're a Frasier fan, as much as I am, you will cry watching this episode. It's just going to happen. Prepare yourself for it now. I'm not going to give you any more information than that. But you will. You will, and it's justified. I can tell you that for sure. And it, there's there's, uh, there's some very funny moments. I rarely laugh out loud watching sitcoms anymore, which makes me sad because I used to love sitcoms so much. I laughed out loud several times in these first couple of episodes, and it wasn't just about Frasier. I could tell you that right now. They've they've casted this thing very well. I thought Eve was an was a very interesting character, and I can't wait to see more from her. Obviously, I think Freddie has his own his own personality and there's one part in the second episode when they're kind of, when he's kind of clashing with his dad a little bit and he does something and it's hilarious. It really is funny. So the show is also very very well written and they found that balance of how do you bring the magic of Frasier along with you but not making it like complete fan service but also bringing something new to the table. They really found that balance. I thought extremely well. And then you've got Frazier's old Frazier's old buddy from Oxford that he's now you know kind of reconnecting with as well. And this and and the woman that you see, she's like the and I could tell you this, she's the department head for the psychology department at Harvard, you know, for professors and things like that. So she's the department head there, and you might you might kind of you know gather where that could go. But there's the the steps that they take to like why Frazier's back. What is his end goal? What has he been doing? And things like that. And getting kind of little quick updates on certain characters that are involved in this show. Now, they leave the door open for some characters to come back. 
they've certain for that that have been referenced. So it's not like we're completely, you know, tossing out the chances of certain characters returning. I know that I'm mean, just gonna I'm just gonna put it out there. You know, everybody's worried about David Hyde Pierce saying he's not gonna come back. You know, Niles, we're not gonna see him in the show. They don't close the door on that. That much I can tell you. There's nothing that closes the door on that. And you know how it is. Something becomes successful and you see how good something is. And then you say to yourself, oh, maybe I should change my mind and come back and, doing that, and do this. And I will tell you that this one was much better than I expected. This show had no right to be as good as it was in these first couple of episodes. And it's just the first couple of episodes. So to me, that tells me that it's only going to get better. And what they did was is they accelerated the part of the story without doing it too quickly of why he's there, what the, what the you know, clashes are between him and Freddy, because you definitely see that in the trailer and, you know, you know, from Freddie's perspective and from Frazier's perspective, you get to see both of those things. And there's other little subtleties. I think that there's one part of the show that people are going to talk about more than they should, because there's no reason to, to talk about it that much and, and make it as, as big of a deal as some people are going to make it. And I'm just going to put that out there right now. And it, it didn't surprise me one bit. That's one thing I will say about that. And you'll know what I'm talking about when you get there. Trust me, again, it's a little thing that people are going to nitpick and they shouldn't. But let me say it's not surprising at all. Not one bit, not one bit surprising to me. And so I I don't think it should be a major part. I I don't think it should be a major storyline coming out of these first couple of episodes, but it probably will be. And and people will not watch the show because of that. And that's going to be a shame. But well, you know, I'm going to enjoy it as long as it's there because the Frasier reboot is just it's something that I'm so happy I wanted the show to be good so bad so bad and usually when that happens I end up being let down because I let my own you know over over lofty expectations ruin it for me sometimes and sometimes it's just not as good as it could be this one is this one it's it's never going to be the original it will never be as good as the original you have to go in there knowing that automatically. It will never be as good as the original. It's not going to be just like the original, but there's there's the heart of the original is there. But you're going to get new characters, new performances, and new people to fall in love with, quite frankly. And hopefully, this one can have a similar legacy. I don't know if it'll run for 11 seasons, because what does anymore? That's not a reality show. But I really hope this one has a good run. Because this show so far is off to a really good start and deserves that chance. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the Fraser reboot. That's a lot of... Up next, going to talk about some nerd news, and there's plenty of it this week. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Joe Henderson, showrunner for Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Looks like some picket signs are going to stay up for now. It's time for nerd news. And here's the deal. Here's the latest update on the SAG after strike. It looks like the studios have walked out of negotiations after coming back to the table earlier this week. And yeah, it doesn't look like the talk's going to resume again this week. And hopefully they do soon. But here's something that I learned on social media. And I can't for the life of me remember who posted it. So I apologize for not given proper credit here, but, you know, with the writer's strike, you know, it's just, it's just ended, writer's rooms are just starting to come back, and, and pencils are starting to get up again, or keyboards, or however you want to call it, okay, however you're writing, the, the writing has started, and, you know, the, the, the danger was that, you know, the fall TV season could be in jeopardy, 
because of, you know, when the writer's strike would end and they, they met that deadline. So it looks like that could be safe. Now, I, it was a writer that posted this and said that it takes about four to six weeks of writing before filming can start beginning. So that's when the clock started from when the writer's strike ended to up until, you know, when this, this shooting could actually shooting could actually start on some of these shows. Now, I specifically am using shows as an example here because, you know, deadlines for movies can be moved and things like that, I feel like. And some casting for some stuff hasn't even been done yet. So there, I don't think there's a lot of movies that are in jeopardy here. Plus, they move movie release dates all the time. So let's just strictly kind of look at from the TV perspective here. So the writer's strike ended, what, a couple of weeks ago, a week ago, something like that. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact date and off the top of my head right now. But so they've got at least another two weeks, if not a month, almost a month, where they can mess around and be stupid talking about the studios and drag this thing out before they can finally make a deal. Now, are the actors actually going to want to, you know, worry about these deadlines and things like that and, you know, kind of want to because I mean they want to get back to work let's face it they want to get back to work they don't want to have to be going through this right now right and you know quite frankly now if we're looking at the you know court of public opinion it's the studios that walked away from this whole thing and not the actors when walking away from the negotiating table so you know I think the court of public opinion is now back with the actors okay so there's still time here to get a deal and, and to, to the point where nothing gets delayed. And remember, there are still some exception deals for like AMC and with, with Daryl Dixon and interview with the vampire where those cameras can start rolling because they have those, those separate deals that were made. And obviously they had agreed to, you know, the terms that the actors want. So that's why those cameras, those special exceptions are being made in certain instances. And there's not a ton of that going on right now, but here's an interesting little development too. And I don't really like to talk about, you know, Congress and all that stuff on this show because, you know, what's the point? It's supposed to be about entertainment, but it's interesting because Congress has just introduced a piece of legislation to ban unauthorized AI likenesses of celebrities. It's called the No Fakes Act, and it's basically, it's got, it's got some other names as well, and, and Senator Chris Coons, Marsha Blackburn, and Amy Kublikar, and Thor Tillis are the ones that are sponsoring this bill and it would act and it would basically have a protection against misappropriation of voice and likeness in performance. And Fran Drescher, who is the president of SAG after said, and I quote in a statement that was released about the about this, a performer's voice and their appearance are all part of their unique essence. And it's not okay when those are used without permission. Consent is key. Now there are still actors and performers that can consent to this, okay? So if you sign a contract like like some you know, actors have, or, or quite frankly, if, if you're talking about, you know, like a family member of an actor that's passed away that signed a deal, those are still, I'm not going to say okay, because it still seems a little weird, but those are agreed upon. So this is the kind of thing that can still happen under an agreement, but this would be a not without consent type of situation, and this would make it an actual crime to do so. So, you know, and, and that protects against, you know, AI and deep fakes and things like that as well, which, quite frankly, we see all over like TikTok and Instagram and things like that sometimes too. So, yeah, that stuff wouldn't be okay either. Not that it is now, but that stuff wouldn't be okay either. So that's something to keep in mind in this whole thing as well. Now, quite frankly, I don't think this should just be for celebrities. I think it should be us for us regular folks as well because, I mean, there's some scary stuff out there that's being done right now when it comes to voice and likeness and stuff like that. And I certainly wouldn't want my face or my voice used to, to, to say or do something 
you know, that I wouldn't be doing and make it and, and it makes it look real. It's a scary thing. So obviously celebrities should have this protection, but I kind of think we all should. And I hope it sort of gets to that point that, you know, gets there at some point. But, you know, I'm not going to stand up here and, and, you know, complain right now. This is definitely something that's a hot button issue for actors and things right now. So I think that, you know, if this and it takes forever for stuff to get passed in Congress. Let's face facts here. Right. So I don't think this thing's going to become law anytime soon. But at the same time, it's an interesting step during this negotiation process that now it's being taken to 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 Congress, basically, or Congress has certainly noticed this and thought that it was enough of a problem to potentially introduce this bill. So, yeah, this one's this one's got my interest. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, but it's an interesting nugget in these negotiations that's going to be coming up. So, yeah, going to keep an eye on this. It's kind of all we can do at this point. You know, it's because there's really not much else that we can that we can do. You know, other than hope for a deal and hope that they go back to the table, which they should, because this whole thing's starting to get a little ridiculous, and we we need to get a deal done. The studios need to stop dragging their feet on this and or whatever. You know, and and they need there's there's just both sides need to find some common ground. I guess is kind of what I'm getting at, and hopefully they can do that. Now, speaking of pencils being up, apparently, according to a new report, this one from the Hollywood Reporter is that the people behind the Daredevil reboot, I guess it's going to be reboot, Marvel's fired the writers and directors of Daredevil Born Again, and it's going to set up another creative reboot for this series. Now, to me, I don't know exactly. Chris Ord and Matt Corman were the head writers that were that were let go, and the, the words creative reboot were a part of this report. Now, part of this maybe is because of the of the actor strike and things like that or maybe they just realized that this just wasn't the direction that they wanted to go and maybe part of that is in response to to She-Hulk and how you know Matt Murdock was you know portrayed in She-Hulk and and things like that and that that was supposed to be kind of like a you know I know that he was in No Way Home okay but it was like for 2 seconds so we've seen him more in She-Hulk than we've seen him in anything else and maybe they've just decided that that's not the direction they want to go for the character. And and we heard that the series was supposed to be a little bit more, you know, lighthearted and funny and things like that. And maybe that's not something they decided they wanted out of this. Or maybe they just looked at the scripts and decided, you know, this isn't, this doesn't just doesn't feel right for this character. Because it's not like this character can't be funny and there can't be lighthearted Daredevil stories. But maybe they just, you know, they the, the, one of the quotes from The Hollywood Reporter is, they found they found themselves needing to rethink the original intention of the show, and to me that doesn't necessarily mean oh good now we're going to go back to being all all gritty and it's going to be like it's going to be like Daredevil was before. But I don't think it's ever going to be like Daredevil was before. So I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't know that I would hold on to that hope a ton. So don't go there if that's where your brain is going. I think that that's a mistake. Don't do that to yourself because I don't think that's what they're going to go for. I think they're going to go for a nice blend of the two. I think they're going to make it more a little bit more lighthearted, but at the same time, maybe bring some of that edge back that they seemed like they were going to ignore in this reboot, which made me nervous. And I don't know if it's going to be called Daredevil Born Again now or not, because they've already changed the name of the Agatha series like four times. So again, I think that this is, you know, I don't necessarily think, you never want to see anybody lose their job. I don't necessarily think that this is a bad thing. It's certainly going to delay things because if you're going to start from scratch, but I say this about video games all the time, and I'm going to say this about series and movies as well. I'd rather you continue to delay it and get it right rather than rush it just for the sake of rushing it to getting it out 
and it ends up not being as good as it could be. So if that if they're going to delay this and then go back to the drawing board and the writing tablet and all that other stuff to make sure that they get it right, then I'm all for this. I'm absolutely 100% on board for them doing this if that's what they're going to do. And it looks like that's the case. So yeah, go, go ahead and, you know, don't count on getting Daredevil born again anytime soon. I actually wouldn't count on that still being the name either. But we are going to be getting Masters of the Universe Revolution here pretty soon. And we actually get a little bit of a peek of Skeletor. So yeah, we are going to have Skeletor in this series. Netflix just released a new look Skeletor along with the release date for Masters of the Universe Revolution, which is the continuation of the story of Revelation. And that's going to be coming up on January the 15th. I mean, excuse me, January the 25th. And we kind of saw what was going on at the end of the last season with with Motherboard and that whole story. And we saw what happened with Skeletor. And it's like, okay, well, you know, door's kind of open here. What's What exactly is going to be happening to Skeletor? And it looks like they're going to kind of lean into the more techno style of the of the Masters of the Universe in this one because we get to see this, like, very tech, like, almost robotic kind of Skeletor first look. It looks freaking terrifying. I thought Skelegod was terrifying. This one looks even more creepy and weird and, and can, can you imagine it like techno wizard Skeletor in this coming upcoming season I mean I know that magic's not exactly flowing through Eternia right now but it's it's a very interesting look and this is definitely a series that I was really really excited to have come back and it looks like Motherboard's going to be a much bigger part of this series and they've kind of hinted at other characters being a part of this show as well but I'm not going to go there yet until we get a little bit more of a definitive look at this thing but they, they've definitely taken this story a, a, a different direction into new levels in this in this Kevin Smith project and I don't hate it honestly I think that they've done exactly what they needed to do with this series and make it cool and make it different and but also connecting it to the original animated series as well and I got to kind of really give them credit for being able to do things the way that they did so yeah Masters of the Universe Revolution is going to be coming back to Netflix on January the 25th. That is going to be very, very interesting indeed. And Orphan Black is also coming back, and I was kind of happy to get an update on this thing, and I was surprised we actually got a trailer for Orphan Black Echoes, which is going to be coming to AMC and, I guess, BBC America in 2024. Of course, this time it's the Kristen Ritter-led version, and we see in this trailer that was released by AMC recently that it's it's the whole okay so Kristen Ritter's character wakes up her name's Lucy by the way she wakes up and she doesn't know who she is and there's somebody in there saying you know do you know what your name is do you remember anything blah 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 and it feels very orphan black ask right and and we get to see her very disoriented and you, it almost seems like you know the whole yeah we got to fight back against these people sort of thing and it's just very eerie and creepy and weird and basically what you would expect for Morphin Black and Kristen Ritter kind of just does her, her character of Lucy kind of discovering what's really going on here. And, you know, she's not the only one. And we see another Lucy pop up at the end of this trailer as well. And they call it, it's interesting that they call this a mystery of their identity and an uncovering of uh, un- uncovering a wrenching story of love and betrayal, which I think is an interesting part of this little synopsis here. Plus, you've got some other people that are returning from from Orphan Black as well so yeah this is this one to me is going to be one that i'm really psyched about of course we have the the, we had realm continue the the orphan black story in podcast form with tatiana maslani and now we're getting orphan black echoes getting the show back on the screen 
as well. But it does. There's not enough here in this trailer to make me say that. Oh, this is this feels all new and all different. And yes, this is going to be an all new version of the show. But it doesn't feel like like a huge departure. Like they're coming out of left field. Wow, wow, that blew me away. It was so different. It still looks very much similar to the original Orphan Black series. It 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 almost feels like reboot esque to me. But they, but that's not a bad thing either. I don't want you. To, it's not a dirty word in this sense. Trust me. So yes, we are going to be getting more Orphan Black in 2024. Looking forward to that. Here was a trailer that surprised me though. And it's another Netflix series. It's kind of it's an animated series called Blue Eye Samurai, and it's it's very very well animated. You could just tell that right off the bat. And this series is actually it's called Blue Eyed Samurai for a reason because this and I'll and I'll give you part of the synopsis here if you're not familiar with it. And it is basically it's set in Edo period Japan, and it follows Mizu, who's voiced by Maya Erskine, and she's a mixed race master of the sword who lives a life in disguise, seeking the deliverance of revenge. And she wants revengeance for a reason. Apparently her mother was taken advantage of when she was younger by, by, you know, by the, the, the white men in Japan. And now she's seeking revenge against those who, you know, who, who, you know, defiled her mother basically. And, and just, you know, people in general that don't treat women the way that they should in Japan. And you get to see a lot of really, amazing action and, and incredible animation in this thing. But there's also a couple tropes as well. You know, like the whole, I don't have time for friends. You know, I don't have time for love, blah, blah. And you kind of see that, you know, there's going to be some of that in this, in this show as there, as there often is when it comes to stuff like this, this coming out on November the 23rd. I mean, excuse me, November the 3rd, by the way. And actually this is the one that has the, the, the people that are, that, that wrote Logan and Blade Runner 2049, not, Orphan Black echoes. So I'm sorry, I messed that part up. So, you know, scratch that, reverse it sort of thing. But this Blue Eye Samurai is going to be coming out on November the 3rd. And yeah, this thing just, it, it looks really, really good. Not just the the background, the backdrop of the, the Edo period in Japan, but also just the fluidity of the animation here and this, and just the style of animation. It's, it's anime-esque, but not quite, to me, it's not quite anime. It's, it's anime-esque but not quite anime, just beautifully, just so well done. So I, this one's got my attention, quite frankly. I don't know how the story's going to end up turning out, but Blue Spirit is the animation studio, and they've got my attention for sure, and I'm really hoping this one ends up being story-wise as good as it looks. So yeah, that's Blue Eye Samurai. It's going to be coming to Netflix on November the 3rd. So I'm pretty excited about that. And you know that we're like 70-plus days away from Christmas, right? And Netflix, excuse me, Prime Video just released their trailer for Candy Cane Lane, which has Eddie Murphy, and that this is the new kind of holiday movie that's going to be coming out on December the 1st. And I'm the crazy guy that loves to decorate inside and outside of my house for Christmas. I don't have the money to do it exactly what I would love to do at some point, but this is Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is the guy that's trying to win his neighborhood decorating contest. So he kind of ends up making a deal with an elf named Pepper. And he, he basically his deal was, yeah, I want to I want to have a better chance of winning. And the spell that she casts actually ends up bringing the 12 days of Christmas to life and wreaking havoc on the whole town. You really get to see that throughout the trailer as well. Now, again, this is a silly, funny holiday type movie, right? So the last thing you need to do in this particular instance 
is take this thing too seriously. Okay, so just if you love holiday movies, this one's definitely got that good vibe that you're looking for from a holiday movie. Plus, I mean, Eddie Murphy and Tracy Ellis Ross. Yeah, that's yeah, that right there should have you kind of, you know, wanting to check this one out alone. And it's just Eddie Murphy back to having fun again, which I which I think is great to see him having fun with some movies again. And, and a hol- another holiday movie to add to the list, I'll take it. December 1st, that is Candy Cane Lane from Prime Video. And again, this is another one of those ones where I hope it's good. But even if it's not, you know, holiday movie, I'll give almost any holiday movie a try anyway. So, yeah, I'll give this a shot and see what happens. And since we're still talking about Halloween, I wanted to talk about the Halloween franchise. And the TV rights have been secured, actually. And Deadline is reporting that Miramax has secured the TV rights for the Halloween franchise. Now, apparently there was a lot of negotiations going on here, some back and forth. But now, yes, we are going to be getting some Halloween TV series at some point from, from Miramax. And they actually own both the TV and the film rights. So the good thing about that is, is you can have the, you know, and even the report says this from Deadline, saying you can have shared universe type stuff going on here. Kind of like Paramount was doing with Pet Cemetery where we had Pet Cemetery Bloodline that just came out recently, and that was tied to the 2019 movie. Now they can kind of do the same thing here with the Halloween franchise. And again, to me, this screams them wanting to end up putting out a prequel TV series at some point. I think that, you know, we can learn more about Michael Myers. And I know we've kind of learned some stuff already. I get that. But, you know, being able to stretch things out in a TV series and doing that, I don't see why you wouldn't do that. Or you could even maybe have... A, a Laurie Strode kind of kind of thing as well. And there's other characters that you could maybe focus on, or, or, or maybe there's another angle that we can get here that we don't know yet. Maybe we can go way back to, you know, the, the origin of Michael Myers and beyond even beyond that as well. Maybe the origin of the origin type thing. So, again, it, they've, we've had so many Halloween th- movies at this point and, and even crossover stuff and stuff like that. To me, it's like, okay, do we need more? But there's room for more. And clearly, every time something is put out has anything to do with this Halloween franchise, it seems to do well. So it's hard to argue with the results, right? So I'm not gonna. So, all right, yeah, if you want to give, if you want to do more Halloween, let's just embrace it and go for it and see what happens. And again, it's not like we're going to have a TV series out like tomorrow or anything. It's, you're at least one or two years away from anything really happening. So... I mean, there'll be enough of a separation there that maybe the itch will be there again and fans will be super excited for it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Donald DeLine and Michael Hirsch for talking about Billy the Kid Season 2 with me. I can't wait for October the 15th for that to come out so you guys can see it. I got to see it early because I was lucky. But yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this season of Billy the Kid. Also, make sure you follow along on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. Follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram at downandnerdypod on TikTok and at downandnerdy on Facebook as well. And yeah, you can get all this stuff, downandnerdypodcast.com. And make sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Again, a reminder, if you're subscribed on Google Podcasts, that's going to be going away. So make sure you do Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen on the website as well if you'd prefer to do that. And I know that a lot of you do because you like the timestamp stuff. But one important thing to remember is you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. 
Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.